0: Chapter 1. Part 2. Of The Many-Sided Franklin. By Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 1. Family Relations. Part 2. He who takes a wife takes care, runs an aphorism that poor Richard thought fit to embody in his almanac and Franklin, from his own experience, might have added, with the humorous quirk he so often used, of his wife's relatives. When he took unto himself a helpmeet, he brought to live with them her mother, who henceforth conducted her trade at his printing shop, making known to her customers through advertisements in her son-in-law's newspaper that, quote, the widow reed had removed from the upper end of high street to the new printing office near the market where she sold ointments for various ills that might have been avoided by a better patronage of the franklin crown soap on the death of mrs reed he wrote his wife i condole with you most sincerely on the death of our good mother being extremely sensible of the distress and affliction it must have thrown you into your comfort will be that no care was wanting on your part towards her and that she had lived as long as this life could afford her any rational enjoyment It is, I am sure, a satisfaction to me that I cannot charge myself with having ever failed in one instance of duty and respect to her during the many years that she called me son. A brother and sister of his wife also lived for a time with Franklin, and he aided the former to get a government office. There was some friction, however, with another of her relatives— at first, Franklin told him that his visits never had but one thing disagreeable in them, that is, they are always too short. But presently, Jimmy Reed endeavored to get, quote, a small office from me, which I took amiss, end quote. and they ceased to be on speaking terms, while the ill-feeling was deepened by Franklin's becoming the agent to enforce a business contract in which Reed proved to be delinquent, if not dishonest. Franklin's eldest son, William, was born out of wedlock, but so far as lay within the father's power, he repaired the wrong to which, separated from the influence of both father and mother, the young fellow had let his hard-to-be-governed passion of youth lead him. The boy was reared in Franklin's home, being openly acknowledged and treated as a son. A friend who saw much of the family declared that quote, "his father is at the same time his friend, his brother, his intimate and easy companion." End quote. A sympathetic kindness for which William Franklin thanked his father, saying, "I am extremely obliged to you for your care in supplying me with money, and shall ever have a grateful sense of that with the other numberless indulgences I have received from your paternal affection. A pleasant glimpse of one parental indulgence is revealed by an advertisement in the father's newspaper. Quote, strayed about two months ago from the northern liberties of this city, a small bay mare branded I.W. on the near shoulder and buttocks. She being but little and barefooted, cannot be supposed to be gone far. Therefore, if any of the town boys find her and bring her to the subscriber, they shall, for their trouble, have the liberty to ride her when they please. From William Franklin. Philadelphia, June seventeenth, seventeen forty two. As the lad grew up, the parent came to take positive pride in him, writing, Will is now nineteen years of age, a tall, proper youth, and much of a beau. This opinion was echoed by William Strahan, who declared, Your son, I really think, one of the prettiest young gentlemen I ever knew from America. Proving that Franklin's praise was not wholly due to the parental fondness satirized in poor Richard's lines, Where yet was ever found the mother who'd change her booby for another? As soon as william was old enough franklin obtained for him a commission in the provincial forces in which he served till peace cut off his prospect of advancement in that way through the same influence he was then made postmaster of philadelphia and next clerk of the general assembly of pennsylvania meantime having been entered as a student of law at the inns of court in london When he accompanied his father to England, in 1757, to complete his title to practice as a barrister, Franklin sought to bring about a marriage between him and Miss Mary Stevenson, an English girl to whom he himself became much attached during this visit. The son, however, chose otherwise, and finally, with his father's consent and approbation, he married, so Franklin states, a very agreeable West Indian lady meantime william franklin had secured the appointment as governor of new jersey a selection much disrelished at first by the province and which it has been suggested was given to the son in the hope of winning the father to the government's side this it is needless to say it did not effect but it at least served to seduce the son and as the rift between the mother country and the colonies widened the father accused him of having become a thorough government man When the English government removed Franklin from his postmaster generalship in seventeen seventy four, he appealed to the son to resign his office, and on his refusal to resent the disgrace which his superiors had sought to inflict on the father, the latter wrote to him bitterly, You, who are a thorough courtier, see everything with government eyes. William's loyalty to the English government resulted not only in a complete break with his father and in his imprisonment by the Continental Congress as an active and dangerous Tory, but forced him eventually to leave America and take up his residence in England. On the conclusion of peace, a feeble attempt at a renewal of the old-time relation was made. Franklin wrote his son, I am glad to find you desire to revive the affectionate intercourse that formerly existed between us. It would be very agreeable to me. Indeed, nothing has hurt me so much and filled me with such keen sensations as to find myself deserted in my old age of my only son, and not only deserted, but to find him taking up arms against me in a cause wherein my good fame, fortune, and life were all at stake. Yet, in expressing his sorrow thus strongly, the father added, "I ought not to blame you for differing in sentiment with me in public affairs, and I should be glad to see you when convenient." The two met for a brief moment at Southampton in seventeen eighty five, when Franklin was returning from France to America but the endeavour to revive the old relation seems to have been unsuccessful they never made further attempts to see each other and in franklin's will drawn up three years after this meeting though he left his son certain property in nova scotia he stated the part he acted against me in the late war which is of public notoriety will account for my leaving him no more of an estate he endeavoured to deprive me of The affection which Franklin no longer gave to his son, he transferred to William's illegitimate child, assuming from the first the relation of father to him. Under his superintendence, the boy was placed at school near London, and during the many years of Franklin's stay in that city, he had the lad often to visit him, telling the father on one occasion— Temple has been at home with us during the Christmas vacation from school. He improves continually, and more and more engages the regard of all that are acquainted with him by his pleasing, sensible, manly behavior. At another time, in making up an account with William Franklin, and noting that the heaviest part is the maintenance and education of Temple, the grandfatherly pride expressed itself in this assertion, but that his friends will not grudge when they see him." On Franklin's return to America in 1775, he brought the lad with him, but the boy went to live with his father, taking at the same time the family name in place of that of William Temple, a change pleasing to at least one friend, who wrote Franklin, I rejoice to hear that he has the addition of Franklin, which I always knew he had some right to, and I hope will prove worthy the honorable appellation. Temple Franklin, as he was customarily called henceforth, returned soon to live with his grandfather in order to attend college, but the plan was interfered with by Franklin's being sent to France in 1776 and his desire to have the boy go with him. Once in Paris, the young fellow became Franklin's private secretary, and there are frequent references to him in that capacity in Franklin's letters, as, for instance, quote, My grandson, whom you may remember when a saucy boy at school, is my amanuensis in writing the within letter, end quote. This employment roused sharp criticism both from Franklin's fellow commissioners and from members of Congress, based partly on the questionableness of giving the position to a relative, partly on the lad's youthfulness, and partly on the fact that he was the son of an open and avowed Tory. A motion was even offered in Congress that he should be dismissed, which so exasperated Franklin that he declared warmly. I am surprised to hear that my grandson Temple Franklin being with me should be an objection against me and that there is a cabal for removing him. Methinks it is rather some merit that I have rescued a valuable young man from the danger of being a Tory, and fixed him in honest Republican Whig principles, as I think from the integrity of his disposition, his industry, his early sagacity, and uncommon abilities for business, he may in time become of great service to his country. It is enough that I have lost my son, would they add my grandson?' an old man of seventy i undertook a winter voyage at the command of the congress and for the public service with no other attendant to take care of me i am continued here in a foreign country where if i am sick his filial attention comforts me and if i die i have a child to close my eyes and take care of my remains his dutiful behavior towards me and his diligence and fidelity in business are both pleasing and useful to me his conduct as my private secretary has been unexceptionable, and I am confident the Congress will never think of separating us End quote. a mere retention in this minor office did not content Franklin, and he lost no opportunity in endeavoring to secure his grandson political preferment. In seventeen eighty three, he made personal appeals to each one of the peace commissioners to have temple made secretary of the commission he wrote to the continental congress asking as a favor to me that the young gentleman should be made a secretary of legation or a chargé to reinforce this application he wrote to members known to him making the same request and jefferson tells us that the doctor was extremely wounded by the inattention of congress to his application for him he expects something to be done as a reward for his services again he used all his influence to have the grandson made secretary of the federal convention in 1787 and was keenly disappointed when that body selected someone else no sooner was the national government organized than he applied to washington for some office for the young man and seriously resented a refusal to gratify his wish in the meantime, he had already, in effect, purchased and given to Temple his father's farm in New Jersey, valued at four thousand pounds sterling, and in his will he left him other property, including his library, and made him his literary executor. In Franklin's paper, the Pennsylvania Gazette, under date of December thirteenth, seventeen thirty six, appeared the following advertisement. Quote, Understanding tis a current report that my son Francis, who died lately of the smallpox, had it by inoculation, and being desired to satisfy the public in that particular, inasmuch as some people are by that report joined with others of the like kind, and perhaps equally groundless, deterred from having that operation performed on their children, I do hereby sincerely declare that he was not inoculated, but received the distemper in the common way of infection and I suppose the report could only arise from its being my known opinion that inoculation was a safe and beneficial practice, and from my having said among my acquaintance that I intended to have my child inoculated as soon as he should have recovered sufficient strength from a flux with which he had been long afflicted. B. Franklin." End quote. The son thus referred to, Francis Folger, who died when he was only four years of age, seems to have been his father's favorite. Long after, in referring to a grandson who was declared to be an uncommonly fine boy, Franklin said that the child, brings often afresh to my mind the idea of my son Frankie, though now dead thirty-six years, whom I have seldom since seen equaled in everything, and whom to this day I cannot think of without a sigh. End quote. The last of Franklin's three children was his daughter Sarah, born in 1743, in whom her father took unconcealed pride, assuring his mother that, quote, Your granddaughter is the greatest lover of her book and school of any child I ever knew, and is very dutiful to her mistress as well as to us. End quote. Half-jokingly, Franklin proposed a match, when she was a child of six, between her and the son of his friend, William Strahan, and the offer being accepted in the same vein, he frequently sent word of her progress to, my son-in-law, quote, pleased to acquaint him that his spouse grows finely, he requested, continuing, and will probably have an agreeable person that with the best natural disposition in the world she discovers daily the seeds and tokens of industry economy and in short of every female virtue which her parents will endeavor to cultivate for him" End quote. six years later he said quote, "our daughter sally is indeed a very good girl affectionate dutiful and industrious has one of the best hearts and though not a wit is for one of her years by no means deficient in understanding." End quote. The imposed task of cultivating simple habits of frugality was not an altogether easy one, the girl's mother complaining that Sally had nothing fit to wear suitable for the Philadelphia society into which she began to be drawn, while Sally herself wrote, "To ask my papa if some things that I cannot get here tis some gloves both white and mourning the last to be of the largest and he seems to have yielded to the double pressure for finery for the daughter presently thanked him and said that nothing was ever more admired than my new gown yet at no time did franklin encourage this desire for dress and when in seventeen seventy nine sarah asked him to send her some clothes from paris he wrote so reprovingly of her extravagance that she replied "'But how could my dear Papa give me so severe a reprimand for wishing a little finery? "'He would not, I am sure, if he knew how much I have felt it. "'You would have been the last person, I am sure, to have wished to see me dressed with singularity, "'though I never loved dress so much as to wish to be particularly fine, "'yet I never will go out when I cannot appear so as to do credit to my family and husband.' even in death franklin consistently sought to teach her simplicity and economy for in bequeathing to his daughter the king of france's picture set with four hundred and eight diamonds which had been presented to him upon his leaving the french court he requested that she would not form any of those diamonds into ornaments either for herself or daughters and thereby introduce or countenance the expensive vain and useless fashion of wearing jewels in this country Throughout his whole life, the father endeavored to train his child in his own words, so that she will, in the true sense of the word, be worth a great deal of money, and consequently a great fortune to her husband the match with the strayhand boy never got further than the wishes of the parents and presently franklin was notified that his daughter had chosen richard bach a philadelphia merchant of whom franklin knew very little but of whom he hoped that quote, "his expectations are not great of any fortune to be had with our daughter before our death" end quote. and then explained i can only say that if he proves a good husband to her and a good son to me he shall find me as good a father as i can be but at present I suppose you would agree with me that we cannot do more than fit her out handsomely in clothes and furniture, not exceeding in the whole five hundred pounds of value. For the rest they must depend, as you and I did, on their own industry and care, as what remains in our hands will be barely sufficient for our support, and not enough for them when it comes to be divided at our decease.' Having made this explanation, Franklin left the decision entirely to his wife, who gave her consent to the marriage. Yet the course of true love did not run altogether smoothly, for Bach shortly became bankrupt in his business, upon which the father advised a postponement of the wedding. He was, however, by some influence, speedily won over— But the marriage was not favorably viewed by some, for William Franklin wrote that Mrs. Franklin became angry with our friends for not approving the match, and there even seems to have been some ill feeling within the family over it. Once his daughter was wedded, the father was not wholly consistent in compelling the young people to depend entirely on themselves. He gave Bach 200 pounds sterling towards setting him up in business, very quickly found a berth for him in the post office, which ever proved in Franklin's hands to have an elastic capacity as regarded his relatives. Presently made him deputy postmaster general, and for many years let the couple live in his house in Philadelphia at no expense for rent. Furthermore, when Congress removed Bach from his office of postmaster-general, and he was compelled once more to start in business, Franklin, with questionable delicacy, considering his official position in France, exerted influence to secure him business from various French commercial houses. Mrs. Bach, according to Marbois, took a prominent part in the revolution, in exertions to rouse the zeal of the pennsylvania ladies and she made on this occasion such a happy use of the eloquence which you know she possesses that a large part of the american army was provided with shirts bought with their money and made with their own hands and the frenchman continued if there are in europe any women who need a model of attachment to domestic duties and love for their country mrs Bach may be pointed out to them as such the marquis de chasselieu echoed this praise by a reference which spoke of her as simple in her manners like her respectable father she possesses his benevolence She is said, furthermore, to have much resembled Franklin, and was described by Manasseh Cutler in 1787 as a very gross and rather homely lady. On Franklin's final return to America, my son-in-law came in a boat for us. We landed at Market Street Wharf, where we were received by a crowd of people with huzzas and accompanied with acclamations quite to my door. During the few remaining years of his life, the box and he made one family, and the father told a friend that, quote, I too have got into my niche after being kept out of it twenty-four years by foreign employments, and am again surrounded by my friends with a large family of grandchildren about my knees, an affectionate good daughter and son-in-law to take care of me, quote. Of the Bach children, the eldest and his namesake, was the most endeared to Franklin, and even before he had ever seen the boy, his frequent inquiries showed his interest in him. Indeed, his American correspondents quickly learned that they could write nothing which would please him more than news of the little king-bird, or your young Hercules, as he was called. "'I came to town with Betsy,' wrote William Franklin to his father, "'in order to stand for my young nephew.' He is not so fat and lusty as some children at his time are, but he is altogether a pretty little fellow and improves in his looks every day. Mr. Banton stood as proxy for you and named Benjamin Franklin, and my mother and Betsy were the godmothers. His wife's letters, too, constantly brought the sponsor news of the godchild. Franklin welcomed her news, telling her, i am much pleased with your little histories of our grandson and happy in thinking how much amusement he must afford you and confessing that they made me long to be at home to play with ben he rarely failed to send his love to the child and often some little things for benny boy and once he complained that you have so used me to have something pretty about the boy that i am a little disappointed in finding nothing more of him than that he has gone up to burlington pray give me in your next, as usual, a little of his history. At a dinner in London he reports that the chiefest toast of the day was Master Benjamin Bach, which the venerable old lady began in a tumbler of mountain. The bishop's lady politely added, and that he may be as good a man as his grandfather. I said I hoped he would be much better. The bishop, still more complacent than the lady, said, Will we compound the matter and be contented if he should not prove quite so good? When Franklin went to France in 1776, he took this grandson with him to give him a little French language and address. With some other ends in view, so soon as he was settled in Paris, he sent him to finish his education at Geneva as, quote, I intend him for a Presbyterian as well as a Republican, end quote here the boy remained four years and then returned to live with his grandfather who wrote the mother i have had a great deal of pleasure in ben he is a good honest lad and will make i think a valuable man he gains upon my affection daily and we love him very much young bach came to america with his grandfather and by his aid was established as a printer franklin supplying all the equipment for the office which he left him in his will together with other property in his behalf also he asked washington for some public office an application which by being refused shared the same fate as that he had made for his other grandson it was the common feeling of the time that franklin had used civil office to serve his family more than to serve the public and so there was sufficient prejudice to make exclusion of his relatives almost a policy with the new government this discrimination in time led to ill-feeling and eventually benjamin franklin bach became the standard-bearer of the journalists who abused washington if benjamin from this long intimacy was his favorite of the bach children franklin was unquestionably fond of them all though the rest were too young to have been more than playthings to him in writing of his home toward the end of his life, he described his pleasure in quote, a dutiful and affectionate daughter, who, together with her husband and six children, compose my family. The children are all promising, and even the youngest, who is but four years old, contributes to my amusement. End quote. And only two years before his death, he noted, quote, the addition of a little good-natured girl whom I begin to love as well as the rest. End quote. Nor was the affection of the grandfather unreciprocated, one of Franklin's callers recording that Mrs. Bach had three of her children about her, over whom she seemed to have no kind of command, but who appeared to be excessively fond of their grandpapa. Franklin himself tells a story of a child that is worth repeating, as showing the grandsire's feeling. His wife had written of Mrs. Bach's oversevere punishment of one of the children, and the husband had replied. It was very prudently done of you not to interfere when his mother thought fit to correct him, which pleased me the more, as I feared from your fondness of him that he would be too much humoured and perhaps spoiled. There is a story of two little boys in the street. One was crying bitterly. The other came to him to ask what was the matter. I have been, says he, for a pennyworth of vinegar, and I have broken the glass and spilled the vinegar, and my mother will whip me.' no she won't whip you says the other indeed she will says he what says the other hadn't you then got near a grandmother at seventeen years of age the runaway apprentice had left his family from that time he saw but little of them as agent for pennsylvania and as minister to france franklin was save for two short homecomings continuously in europe from seventeen fifty seven to seventeen eighty five and necessarily separated from his wife and except as already narrated from his children and grandchildren yet of all his kith and kin he was undoubtedly truly fond not merely as relatives but as companions and not to one does he seem to have been lacking in interest and kindness End of chapter 1, part 2